Good morning. Welcome to Community Alliance Church. My name is Keith Kozik, and I'm the Director of Youth Ministries and your substitute teacher for today and today only. <laughs> hey, Memorial Day is an amazing opportunity to look back and, and reflect on the sacrifices that were made that really that we can gather as a congregation, as a people, and worship the way that we want because of you know the people were willing to sacrifice and lay down their lives for that. And don't don't make light of that. I mean that's that's amazing what people have done. And so often, you know, on Thursday night we call Chris Kunitz a hero for scoring, you know, so we can go to bed. Woohoo, yeah, there we go. But like, you know, and we move on. But like, you know, the people that paid the ultimate sacrifices, let's let's be honest, those are the, the true heroes. So make sure you take time and reflect on that and think about those things. And when you're thinking back Hopefully you can think back and remember when Joe and I did some, some sermons together. Joe did an absolute amazing job talking about how God you know, is the only one that can take the key and forgive us for all our past mistakes. And then I, I spoke about the fact that God, no matter what we've done, no matter what we've done, well, he, Joe talked about God will always forgive us. And I talked about the fact that we need to re- forgive ourselves. Because often we think accusing thoughts like, you know, how could you do this? And you call yourself a Christian and things like that. And, and those are just things that God doesn't think. Those are things that God doesn't put into our brain. Those are things that we feel. God always loves you. And he wants you to move forward. So before we get going too far into my sermon, that's why I want to reflect back and just ask yourself really honestly, how are you doing at those two things? Embracing the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And the second thing is, is really, how are you doing with forgiving yourself for the past mistakes that you've made? Because both of those things, if, you, if you're not feeling freedom in those things, then you're not going to experience the full life that Jesus Christ has for you. We're going to pray. Then we're going to get into with a new sermon. So well, let's pray. God, I just pray that you would bless these next 25, 30 minutes. That I would say what you want me to say. Give me the freedom to say what you want me to say. And God, it's going to be powerful. And I pray that you would set people free from things that, that deep down and some wounds and some hurts that maybe they have been covering up for a long time. Pray for a real spirit of honesty and just genuineness. And we pray this all in your precious name. Amen. See, as sermons are, I'm sorry, as pastors, I'm part of this problem. Is that, you know, I want to preach like this sermon and that sermon and that sermon. Like, I want to keep pushing you guys further and further and further. Because, you know, I get excited, you know, and I I really want to help people. But the problem is, is that sometimes when you hear a sermon, it takes more than six days to apply it to your life, you know. And then you hear that next great sermon, you're like, that was good, but I didn't apply the last one to our lives. And then you kind of like start feeling, you know, overwhelmed. And again, I, again, I I'm the first one to admit, I'm, I'm part of that problem, is that I, I, I want you to be able to apply these things to your lives. And so listen, make sure you take the time to, to sit and reflect on uh, like the things that you know, I preach, Daddy preach, Pastor Joe Jim, because they're really important, and especially ones that you touch your heart and that God wants you to really apply to your life. They're just so important. So I'm going to pick up kind of where I left off, and this was, you know, last, my last sermon. Most of you will remember this story if you were, you know, a part of it. And if not, I'm going to tell it again, so then you can be a part of it. So I told this story. I said this, is that I want you to picture the time that you were the most in debt in your life. The time where you were just overwhelmed with debt, maybe, maybe that's now, maybe you were 400, 600, 800, a million, 2 million 
eight million, whatever it is, you were, you were in debt the most you ever had in your life. And I said, what if happened at that point? If someone were to walk into your life and say, I, I want to pay that debt off for you, would you hug them and you'd be like, thank you so much? You'd be overwhelmed with joy. You'd be like, thank you. Thank you for the sacrifice. And if that debt was free, I, I asked this question. I just said, how many of you then on the first of the month would send that mortgage check in? Just out of obligation. How many of you would send that $500 to Kelly Chevrolet just to go, Mike Kelly, I really like you. I want you to have that money. Probably not too many of us. Because it had been paid for, it'd be free. And, and the person who paid that debt, if they heard that you were still paying back, that they had already paid back, they would say, listen, what are you doing? I paid that so you could be free and not be debt free. I don't want you to do that. I love you. This is why I did it. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ has done for us. He paid that debt so we can be free. And when we don't forgive ourselves, when we put ourselves back into that prison, not experience the full freedom that God has for us. Now, I wrote that sermon a couple months ago, but I actually wrote this sermon along with it. And so that's what I, I, I want to talk about now, is there's a second part to that story. Now, imagine this, and again, it's not hard for many of us to imagine, because Jesus paid the debt for all of us. Many have accepted that, and we live in that freedom. But there's this other problem that exists within congregations like ours and lots of churches, is that when we look across the aisle or maybe in that first service, there's that person that really, we just don't really like. We don't really get along with them. They you know, and they, for whatever reason, we don't really care for them. They don't, maybe they don't care for us. And there's just this problem. Is that Jesus says, listen, you know, or, you know, the person who paid off your debt, whatever part of the parable that I invented, you know, you want to talk about, is that, hey, listen, I paid that debt for you, you know, and you know how you appreciated that, and I, I took all your debt, and I, I got rid of it. You, you know that person you don't really care for? I do. I love them just as much as I love you, and I took their debt, and I got rid of it as well. And because of that, I would love for you guys to try to reconcile and try to get together because of what I've done for you. Because the idea of reconciliation is, is this, is the restoration of friendly relations. The action of making one view or beliefs compatible with another. The, the goal of restoration is always to restore a right relationship with someone. That you could work towards restoring something that maybe was right at one time, but isn't correct now. And, and as parents, we do this all the time. Is that not true? Like, especially you have multiple kids, and that's why this is up here today, okay, in fact, was yesterday our trampoline broke, and so I decided we were going to get a new trampoline, all right? And so I got the trampoline with the basketball hoop in it, if you've ever seen that, so that, that my kids could dunk. My kids are going to be as tall as I am, so they will never experience dunking a basketball in real life, okay? So this is the closest to the experience I could get, was that I was going to buy the one so they could slam dunk it. And so before, before I even got the trampoline finished, my kids had discovered the air pump, okay? And they're sitting there, and they're pumping. I'm like, you guys are going to blow that thing up. No, we won't. 
and then they put it in and they deflate it. Like, it was like, I didn't even have to buy a trampoline. I just kind of gave them this, all right, for hours. Like, isn't that true as a parent? You buy them, like, the dumbest thing. And, and so, eventually, at one point, I look over, and my oldest son, Caden, is on top of my youngest son, Caden, or Cohen, and just, just going to town on him. I'm like, what are you doing? He broke the ball! And I told you that was going to happen because the, the ball wasn't made to be inflated a couple times. And then come to find out that Cohen's like, he punched me in the face like four times. You know what I mean? And, then, and the other one punched me. And, like, and your parent, you're like, stop it. Like, I love you both. I'm the one who bought the ball and the trampoline. Chill out and get along. And we've all been there as parents. And here's the amazing thing about kids. Like four minutes later, they're back to being best friends. We're like, oh. but reconciliation is my next life. It's a two-way street. It takes two people going in the same direction that want to reconcile. All it takes is one person going, being stubborn and like, I'm not going to reconcile with them. Or if you are stubborn and prideful, like, I'm not, forget them. They're getting what they deserve. You know what we've become? The very thing that God has set us free from, we're saying, listen, they deserve to be in that prison. Well, I'm not extending reconciliation. No, they deserve that. I was in the right. They are wrong. And I'm not going to reconcile with them. Jesus says this about reconciliation, though, in Matthew 5, 23 and 24. It says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. Go, first go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. This is what Jesus is saying, essentially. Hey, if you know someone has something against you, go talk to them about it. Go and be reconciled with them. This is an act of obedience. It's like, listen, go and try to make this right. It is that important. And in the context, he's saying, he's saying if you're offering your gift at the altar, it would be like coming to church, all right? Or back in Bible times, what they do is they would make sacrifices on an altar to make sure that they were right with God. And essentially, Jesus is like saying, you don't have to make that sacrifice. You don't have to. What you have to do is go and talk to the person and take those steps for trying to work towards reconciliation. That's more important than going to church, I want to make sure you heard that right, okay? Reconciliation is more in coming to church. Now, you come back and you, after you reconcile, because if not, my boss will never let me preach again, okay? So you make sure you come back. But that, and honestly, that's what Jesus said. It's so important that you work towards this. Tim's in the front row, so therefore he's my victim. So let's just say Tim and I aren't seeing eye to eye, okay? But if I were to say to Tim, Tim, now, I, I know you're upset with me. You may be frustrated with me. Hey, man, what did I do to upset you? And I'm not going to let him give the opportunity because he'll talk for the next 20 minutes about all the things I've ever done to upset him because they'll be funny too because he's pretty funny like that. But that, that general act, honestly, when you go to someone humbly and just say, hey, listen, I, I feel like our relationship has been tense or there's maybe some iciness between us, what's going on? That lends towards reconciliation so much more, doesn't it? Well, your alternative is, is to pretend that everything's great. <laughs> and that doesn't really work that well. See, God really wants us to reconcile and to get rid of these things because what it does is when we don't reconcile or forgive, we're going to talk about that. Really, what we're doing is we're, we're carrying these chains around with us. 
And we know that it's not right. And some of you are thinking about that person right now. You're like, I know I need to reconcile this person. And it's like this weight that's just kind of weighing you down. And you're upset and you're frustrated. And you're like, I know I need to do this. And you need to take the act of obedience and trying to work towards those things. To try to be reconciled. There's a problem with reconciliation, though, and I just want to be honest, even though God calls us to it. Reconciliation is not always possible because it's a two-way street. But there's this verse, and I, I want to point this out, too. I just want to be honest. There's been lots of times where I've called people, and I said, well, you meet with me. They don't want to, or I've texted them or called. And, and sometimes the other person just doesn't meet, want to meet with you or, or want to reconcile with you. And Romans 12, 18 has always been a help for me. It says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Like, I do everything I can to reconcile with people. But there's, honestly, there's just going to be certain people in your life that, that just don't want to. Because resolving conflict, really, what it is, is it makes your life way more freeing. Like, we don't want to walk around with all these things in our lives. We don't want to walk around with these changes. And that's what God doesn't want you to, because then you won't experience the freedom in his life. Some general points that I, I want to point out about reconciliation, because it's very important. If you've been in an abused or violated, you know, reconcili or, you know, reconciliation may not be the best route for you. If you've been, you know, abused or, you know, you know, heavy things of trust have been violated, you may not be able to totally reconcile with people. And that's okay because we're going to talk about that in my next point, so it'll be all right. In fact, if you have boundaries up around people because you don't have healthy relationships with them, reconciliation may not fully be, be able reconciliation is not blind trust. And so this is where certain people get into trouble. They're like, we reconcile. We can be best friends all over again. And that may not be true because there's been elements of trust that have been you know, betrayed. And trust takes time and respect. They just take time to build back into a relationship. The only time that doesn't work is for junior high girls for some whatever reason. Like, they're like, I hate her. Two days later, she's my best friend when she's sleeping over. It's like, I don't know how that works, but that's the only relationship I've ever seen where reconciliation just works like that. But that's not reality for most of us. That's just the truth. And if you're having imaginary conversations in your head with people, you know what I'm talking about, like, I know I should talk to this person. This kind of bugs me, and it just weighs on your heart. Those are the people that you really need to reconcile with to go and try to talk to them. And here's the amazing thing. If you need help, with reconciliation, you know, there's great pastors here, there's great elders, we can get you into counseling, they can help you reconcile with this, because God really wants you to live a free life. Like I said, reconciliation isn't always possible, but I want to talk about something that is possible, and that's my next slide, which is forgiveness. And the definition of forgiveness is just to give up resentment of, to make the choice that I'm not going to feel resentful of this person or this situation anymore. And the great thing about forgiveness, like I said, is it's always possible. Do you know why? Because forgiveness is a one-way street. It depends on you. See, Jesus paid an ultimate sacrifice to forgive us our sins. You know, we can forgive ourselves. Now, forgiving others is the choice that we have to decide what we, if we're going to be obedient and make that choice or if we're going to hold on it. This is the thing I feel that forgiveness is the thing that makes Christianity so amazing and separates it from other religions. Is that it's about forgiveness and mercy and love and not anything else. 
So you can forgive people who have hurt you, who have wronged you, people who have violated you, people even who are deceased even now. You can forgive them and experience the full life that Jesus has for you. We're going to be in Matthew 18 if you want to open up there. We're going to be here for a little bit. And if you just want to tilt your head up because it's Memorial Day weekend, you can do that, okay? We're going to be in chapter 18 of Matthew. We're going to start at verse 21. And Peter, Peter gets a bad rap for this story, but I, I can so relate to Peter in this story. So we're going to be in Matthew 18, 21. And if you're not there... Keep turning there and multitask and listen to me while I keep going. Verse 21, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And, and, and if I had Jesus and if it was me and him, I think this is a logical question I would ask him if it was me and him. I'd say, God, you know, if I'm clearly in the right and this person clearly wrongs me, how many times can I forgive them before basically they're dead to me? I mean, like, that's the question. Seven, and I think Peter's being pretty generous here. Because let's be honest in your own life. When people wrong you, the first time you may forgive them. The second time you're like, that person's just not who I thought they were. The third person at the time they, forgive you, they wrong you and ask for forgiveness, you're like, I really don't want to be close to that person. I mean, that's how most people are. That's how I know how I am in my humanness. And so they ask Jesus, they say, Jesus, how many times should I forgive him? Seven? I mean, seven's like, that's a lot. I mean, that, that seems like he's setting the bar high. And yet we pick on Peter because we know the response, most of us, that Jesus replies. And he, and he says this, is this verse 22. He says, Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Jesus says, listen, if someone wrongs you and they keep asking for forgiveness, forgive them, forgive them, forgive them. And we go, but that's really hard. Like, it just seems like I'm getting taken advantage of. Like, it, it doesn't seem right. And then Jesus goes right in and telling this story. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought in. And again, this is different translation. Some translations say it owed him millions of dollars. Other translations said it caught, he owed him 20 years of a daily wage. It would have taken him 20 years to pay this off. This guy was incredible debt to this king. And the truth of the matter is, is he was never going to pay off the debt. He had made so many bad investments. So he's been so frugal with his money, that, with the, this guy's money that he had borrowed, that he was never going to be able to pay it back. Let me humanize this. Who's that person in your life that comes and asks you for that tool or that money and you're like, I don't want to give it to them because I know I'm never going to get it back? You know who you're thinking of? Maybe it's that neighbor, that brother-in-law, whoever it is. You're like, I don't want to get That's who this guy was. Verse 25, since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt, since he couldn't repay it, this is what they used to do in biblical times. You could actually do this. You could, okay, you owe me this much money. We're going to sell off your whole family. We're going to put you into slavery. Whatever I get from that, then we'll part to partly repay the debt that you owe me. Verse 26 and 27, at this, the servant fell to his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay everything back. Verse 27, the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, 
and let him go. The, the, the master was even kinder than say, he, he's saying, listen, I'll pay you back. I'll pay you back. And the master goes one step further and says, listen, I'll just cancel the debt of the great forgiveness. Verse 28. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a few hundred silver coins. So he leaves there with the king, and he's like, listen, I need to start collecting some of the money that I owe. And this, is, this is, would have been a normal debt. Maybe it was a, a, you know, a, a loan for a new car or a camel back in that day. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. See, this servant now is clearly in the right, like the king was clearly in the right. And how does he respond? His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged, be patient with me and I will pay it back. Exactly how he responded to the king, the servant responds back to him, but he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay off the debt. When he was given the opportunity to offer the same forgiveness that he had been given, he doesn't do it. In fact, what he decides is, no, I want my money. And what's he do? He throws him right into that prison cell right there. He says, listen, I'm not forgiving you. You're paying, you're going to debtor's prison until you pay me back. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged. They went and told their master everything that happened. Look, you're smart folks in here. You know what this story's about. Jesus Christ. And what he did is the great king. And 99.9% of us owe him way more than what anyone will ever have to forgive someone else for. That's just the truth. And and I already know that you know this truth, but I got to make this clear. People are going to wrong you in this life. You are going to be wrong. You know that, and it hurts you. And it frustrates you, and you have these, these just causes anxiety and gets you upset. And you're like, I know I have these things in my life because I've been wronged, and I feel like I've been wronged. But you wrong God. And 99.9% of us have wronged God way more than we've ever been wronged. Just what are we going to do with that forgiveness that we've been given? The master called the servant, and you wicked servant, I cancel all that debt because because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all that he owed. Verse 35, I love and I hate this verse at the same time. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from the heart. Because I'm awesome at offering fake apologies. Like when people wrong me and say, hey, is everything all right? Yeah, it's cool. But it eats in me. And even though they ask for forgiveness, I don't want to forgive people. Because I feel like they, they deserve something worse than what they did. I didn't wrong them. But whenever I start doing those things, you know what I start to do? I start to put these weights on me. And there's a lot of us, like me, that are walking around with a ton of weights of people that we know that we should be forgiving, but we just keep holding on to it, and it keeps weighing us down and weighing us down, and it hurts us. And you hear sermons like this, and we're like, I know God forgave me. He did so much for me, but it's just hard. 
how do I forgive other people? Jesus has this verse. And it says, Matthew 5, 4. It says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Here's the amazing thing about this verse. It actually works. Imagine that in the Bible. If you use it, it actually works. If you pray for people who persecute you and, and pray for those who hurt you, it works. Now, this is, I just want to be honest. This is what will happen. Sorry, Tim, you're still in the front row. So, like, let's just say Tim and I, you know, is wrong me, and I have to forgive him. And I will just start praying for him. And at first, I'm just going to be honest. I don't even mean it. I'll be like, dear God, let Tim have a good day. <laughs> then maybe the next day, I'll be like, dear God, let the toy store have a productive week or something like that. God, I just pray that you will help Tim and his, and his mom and his dad. And slowly, this, this is an amazing thing, is, as I pray, and it may take weeks, it may take a month, it may take more than a month. I just keep praying for him every day. God, I just pray that you would bless him. When you pray blessings on your enemy, it's, it's an amazing thing. And then one day, it, it, I can't explain it, it's, it's only God, is I'll be praying blessings on people that I need to forgive. And then it's like this. My chains are gone. And I'm like, God, I just pray that you would bless him, that he would experience you in a fresh and powerful way, that you'd feel renewed by your spirit. And the thing is, I mean it. It's not like this half-heart, like in my heart, I truly, I want him to be blessed more than anything else because of the radical forgiveness of Jesus Christ. That's why when Stephen was being stoned or Jesus is being crucified, when he says, Lord, forgive them, they know not what they do, he actually meant it too, like he did. He was forgiving them right there in that moment. He was praying blessings on those who persecuted him. Matthew, talk, or sorry, Matthew 6, Jesus talks about this, and this is the Lord's Prayer. And like, as I was studying this, like, it never really stood out to me until, until now. This is Matthew 6. And you guys know the Lord's Prayer, or you know, our Father. And I'm going to skip down to verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Like, the Lord's Prayer isn't long, and he's including that into it. Hey, forgiveness. And in fact, more powerfully, verse 14 and 15. Highlight this if you have your Bible. This is right after the Lord's Prayer. God, te you know, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And as soon as he gets done praying, he says this in Matthew 14, 15. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Like, I never saw that before. And again, I knew the verse, but I was like, that's right after the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus is saying, this is essential to Christianity, that if you want to follow me, if you want to be my follower, that you have to forgive people. You can't want to put people in prison all the time. And they may deserve it. And in your mind, they may deserve it. But that's exactly what you deserve. And because of God's great mercy, we don't get what we deserve. <laughs> Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Don't turn there. Just tilt your head up and look at the screen. Verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other, just as Christ God forgave you. See, if you're struggling with anger, rage, malice, if you're struggling with all that stuff, then maybe you need to forgive some people. Or here's the amazing thing. You, you can put these chains on 
And you can carry them around the rest of your life if that's what you really want to do. That's not what God wants for you. But he gave you that choice. You have to make the choice of forgiveness. Or what's probably going to happen is you're probably going to have more conflict in your life and you're going to keep adding more and more chains on you. And then guess what? You're not going to experience the freedom and the fullness and the peace and the joy that God wants for you because you have anger, rage, malice, and all these other things in your life. I had a kid in my youth group not too long ago. Great kid. He had some problems with his father. His father was never going to win dad of the year. Let's just put it that way. I'm going to put it as nice as I can. He was never really there for him. Kind of abandoned him. And you know what? God had really been working on this kid's heart. And his kid was, you know, you know the, the kid wanted to go see his father because he wanted to try to, to forgive him and reconcile with him. And I was actually driving him to a state penitentiary to, to go see him. I was driving there. And, and I was just like, what are you going to say to your dad? And we're kind of talking about it. And he turned to me and he said one of the most powerful things I've ever heard a high school student ever say. He said, you know, one of the hardest things, if not the hardest thing I've ever, to do in, ever had to do in my life is to forgive my father when he's never asked for it. That is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And experience the freedom that only he can give. Then, then you want to give that away to someone else. So they can experience the freedom. That happens also in the Old Testament. Most of you know this story with the story of Joseph. His, his brothers sell him off. He's accused of rape, which he didn't do. And then there's the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he interprets their dream, and then he goes before Pharaoh and, and one day becomes the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. And then because of the great famine, what happens? His brothers come back. And if any man had the right to be angered and frustrated and want to throw his brothers in the prison, it's Joseph. And the first time it, they come down, he's kind of mean to them and makes sure that they leave one of the brothers behind, Simeon. And then lets them go back and he says, but if you come back, you better bring all your brothers, all, all 11 of them. And really he wants to see his little brother Benjamin because that's his full-blooded brother. And he comes back, you know, because they need food and they come back down and he, and he feeds, and he, he fills up all their sacks and tops them off and puts his very special silver cup into Benjamin's sack. And he says, listen, you know what, let them go. They, they leave and then his attendants go back and they, they get his brothers and they bring them back. And Joseph says, why have you stolen off of me? And they, they say, we haven't stolen anything. And of course, they didn't know that in Benjamin's sack was, was his cup. And he says to him, listen, you know, Reuben, the oldest brother, says, if we've stolen anything, we'll become your slaves. You can put us in prison. And what is, and what is Joseph says? He says, no, only the person who has stolen why, why make a slave? They open up the sacks, and sure enough, and there it is. And Reuben does an amazing gesture. The oldest brother says, listen, I will take the place. I will take the place of my little brother so that he doesn't have to be a slave. Similar to what Jesus Christ has done to us. I, I will take the place. Moved by that act of mercy, Joseph starts to begin to cry and weep, weep heavily. And he has all the, the, the Egyptians leave the room. And he reveals himself in Genesis 45. He says, I am your brother Joseph, the one who sold you in Egypt. And now do not be distressed, for I'm not angry with you, for yourselves are selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. 
he forgives his brothers. And they've never asked for it. And they don't even deserve it. If anyone deserves to go to prison, it's them. And he forgives them. And he says, so then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, the Lord in the entire household, and the ruler of Egypt. Skip down to verse 18, and just keep your head up. Genesis 45, he says, and he kissed his brothers, and he wept over them. Afterwards, his brother talked to them. And he's reconciled with his brothers. And they've never asked for it, and quite frankly, they don't deserve it. But what about you? Doesn't do any good just to come to church. It would do much better if you start to apply what I just taught to you. And hopefully God has brought some things to your heart. I want to ask you, is there someone in this congregation or maybe a brother or sister that you need to reconcile with? That you just need to go, hey, let's just go have a conversation. And maybe we could kind of, this two-way street, maybe we could start trying to kind of work this out perform that act of obedience or maybe there was I was talking about forgiveness there was that one or two person people that God just just laid heavy on your heart you're like I know I need to forgive that person I know I do but it's your stubbornness and it's your pride that's 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 holding you back and here's the amazing thing you can keep going living on and the more people you don't forgive you're just going to keep adding chain after chain after chain after chain after chain or you can forgive them and experience the freedom that Jesus Christ has for you. It's your choice. But he has forgiven you. Let's forgive others. Let's bow our heads and let's close in one final prayer. God, when we hear messages like this, it's heavy and it's deep and it, and it may bring up wounds from people that have been really hurt maybe 20, 30, 40, 50 even years ago in a congregation like this. And and it makes us want to run from that. But God, I just pray that we would run to it. Because your life is the greatest life. Your your freedom is the greatest freedom. And that's, God, that's what we want in our lives. And so many of us have experienced freedom that you, what you've forgiven us from. And we've forgiven ourselves, but sometimes, God, we don't forgive other people. And God, I just pray that you would give us the courage to be able to do that that we would just ask ourselves, who do we need to forgive? That we would start praying blessings over people that we need to forgive so that we can live how you want us to. And God, on this Memorial Day, we remember the sacrifice that you made for us, that you died on a cross for our sins so that we could be right with you. And Lord, that's the greatest sacrifice of all time. And let us never lose thought or or, or never forget that. And let us always remain thankful for what you've done. Bless us in the rest of this weekend. In your precious name, amen. I love you guys. Have a blessed week. And Pastor Dan, I'll be with you next week.